Well, welcome to the One Link Podcast. I'm James, and I am here with Peter. Peter, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing really great, James. How about yourself? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We're both really cool and have map backgrounds behind us, which you podcast people can't appreciate. Peter is on the partnership team with us, and uh, recently this is the season of year where we talk about mobilizing. It's our mobilization season, and so we've been having this conversation a little bit inside the the partnership team that tries to find new campuses um, to send send students of how do we mobilize students and. To say that, just to clarify that, we don't use that word mobilizing a whole lot. Mostly, I'm a big fan of only using words like people know and use, but that seems to be the worst. When we think about mobilizing, we're talking about like mobilizing an army. Like that's the word, that's where it it comes from. Uh, To get, we need an army, we don't have an army, we mobilize it, we get the supplies, we get the people, we get everything we needed up to the front. So when we talk about mobilizing, especially in this context, what we're talking about is getting students to say yes to going on a summer team or college students to saying, yes, like, okay, I'm going to graduate. Now I'm going to do a two-year term or like kind of that initial longer term application. So that's kind of the context. Yeah. So, I think that's uh, intuitive to me. I mean, the word mobile is within the word mobilizing. So in my mind, we're moving people. I, I like Henry Blackaby's definition of leadership, which is moving people on to God's agenda. But so really, mm-hmm. I, in my mind, Mobilizing is, is a subset of really leading people. So I'm excited for the conversation. Yeah, I am too. So we also have a special guest with us today. Micah, welcome to the One Link Podcast. Hey, I'm glad to be on the podcast with you guys in particular today. It's exciting. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to have you back. So this is round two. If you guys want to go back and hear more Micah, you can go back into the, I think it was the first episode, maybe a season three, first or second, somewhere in there. Uh, it's a podcast on O-Week stories. So he and his wife share some some good stories there so you can get some, yeah, some more Micah there. Micah, what do you do now? Right now I work for a seminary in Fort Worth, Southwestern Seminary. And I work in our student life team, which has a hand on creating community and, and discipleship and ministry opportunities for students that are here, both in the graduate programs and the undergraduate programs. So when I think about it, it's a little bit like a, being a campus minister, only you're on a Christian campus, but you have a lot of those same roles, right? Right. I got to borrow other campuses that have lost people on them to do the part of campus ministry that involves evangelism, but <laughs> otherwise, yeah. It creates some unique challenges for you there. Maybe somewhere down the road, we'll let you get your feet a little bit more wet because you just just took that job, which is really sweet. Right. Um, Missed the Monday. Maybe. Maybe we'll talk some more about that. Um, but you have a little bit of history with campus ministry. Uh, give us a quick rundown of your campus ministry history. Sure. Um, I was involved in uh, Christian Challenge at New Mexico State University and was mobilized myself through that ministry during my whole time in college. And then I, I spent several years at the University of Oklahoma BCM or Baptist Collegiate Ministry on their staff before moving to Fort Worth, Texas, where I am now. Okay. And you actually did a little a little mobilization after you moved there. Am I right? Right. Actually, while I was going to seminary, I was a part-time student mobilizer for the IMB, the International Mission Board. And so kind of concentrated on the region, but trying to mobilize particularly college students and trying to help 
collegiate ministers in the area mobilized their own. Excellent. Well, I always knew you were cool. That's like a that's like a given, partly because you're a New Mexican. Um, but Brad and I and <laughs> Brad and I and Tyler, I believe we were walking around at Collegiate Week this last week, and somewhere we were talking about mobilizing. And uh, Brad said this phrase. He's like, "There was a while back when when Micah was at OU, I'd talk to somebody at O Week, and I'd be like, oh, you know, what made you sign up?' And they would be like, they would say, "Oh, I got Micahed." And that uh, they had turned your your name into a verb, and uh, that's when it was like, you know, we should have Micah back on the podcast uh, to talk about. We were like, you know, we need to get rid of Micah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there are other people that use Micah in a bad bad connotation, but in mine, it's good. It's good. Um, and then you know, Peter, you also uh, you also work on a college campus. You're not just solely at one link, and so you do a fair amount of mobilizing as well. Am I right? Yeah, so it, it plays out fun in my life because I'm both on the partnership team here for one link, but I also am a stateside partner myself at the University of Florida, BCM primarily. So um, yeah, I get to really play both sides of both a local campus minister who's seeking to mobilize students that God's entrusted to me and also travel around and speak to other campus ministers and try to help them do the same thing. So yeah. Well, excellent. Well, welcome to you both. I'm really excited to pick your brains a little bit. When we think about having a mobilization conversation, and I'm picturing you're sitting down with one or two students, you know, it's like in in some kind of one-on-one or small group setting, and you're trying to convince them, talk them into at least praying earnestly about going, you know, for the following summer. How does that conversation go? What what tips could you give somebody that wasn't as good at it, who who didn't have the gift of Micah-ing somebody? What would you start? Well, I'll be honest. I don't think the probably the Micah-ing whatever <laughs> whatever happened with various students at OU probably fell within the parameters of the conversations solely. And so, for me, I think. My advice to anybody who's trying to become a more effective sender or mobilizer is that it starts before the conversation ever happens. And so I think first it's it's got to begin with a really sincere personal and scriptural conviction that it is worthwhile and it is within the will of God to go, not just to send but to go and to have a heart for the nations. And so overdeveloping one's sense of God's heart for the nations in scripture is never a bad idea uh, because you're always going to run into objections or you're always going to run into scenarios in conversations and outside of conversations that bring into question your own belief about sending people and making this a priority in any given ministry that you're in or even your personal ministry. So I think it starts there, and then the conversations become an overflow of the sincerity and genuineness and authenticity of your own life, where people are not, they're not questioning if you're just a salesman, so to speak, or just an army recruiter or something like that. You know, somebody who has to do this or somebody feels like this is something they're supposed to do. They know it's, you really believe it. I think that goes a long way. I don't, I don't know what you think. 
Peter, about other things, even outside of the conversation that contribute to making the conversations a lot easier? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think I, I totally agree with you. I think my most successful, um, I'm putting successful in air quotes, even though you can't see me, you know, successful, if you define that in terms of they actually end up going somewhere. My most successful mobilization conversation started with someone who was interested, at least in the idea of going long before the conversation ever started. And I think that came from someone speaking some truth in their life about the necessity of going, the need of the nations, God's heart for the nations from scripture, and whether it was in a church service or it was Gator, you know, BCM worship gathering, or it was a discipler that really challenged them. You know, I think a big illustration that we use in one link circles is that we're one link in the chain as we send students in what God is doing in someone's life to cause them to know him. And I think the same plays out when it comes to mobilization too. I think that we have just more often maybe than others, but maybe not even that effectively been able to be one link in the chain for students who are thinking about God's agenda and God's task and God's character and they're considering the scriptures and they're thinking, well, I have this free summer, I have this free time in my college, afterwards college, and you know, I want to use that strategically. And so uh, I think mobilization to me really isn't just this thing that you do in one-off conversations in the month of October or November, but it really has to be a core value of your ministry. And it's not just that we mobilize to the nation, but it's really that we mobilize to the things that God cares about, or we do things that God cares about. We spend time, you know, partnering with God in the way that he's working in the world. And as we search the scripture, you know, it's really easy to open the Bible with someone and find myriad passages where you find that God's heart is for the nation. And so as we're thinking about leading students to do what God would want them to, missions is part of that conversation almost inevitably. But it starts long before that immediate conversation happens. Yeah. So it sounds like first takeaway is, is one, you have to be mobilized yourself. Yeah. Like you have to personally have a heart and a belief, maybe even a desire to, to be about that. And then number two, that it's a building process that most people don't come plop down on your, in your office and and then you have this one conversation and that's what it goes. Uh, so talk me through this, because a lot of this, especially you guys are on campus ministries, like you're you're having ongoing camp conversations, not with just people you disciple, but you're influencing a lot of students. How do you begin putting that on the heart of people? Because I know there's been students that I've talked to, it was an o, guy on OU staff right now, and he was like, I didn't really have any interest. And then uh, Kurt asked me, he said, hey, will you go with me to wherever, you know, like, how do you begin putting that? How do you begin challenging? Because I think for most people, there's a starting point, an impetus when it first first comes up on their radar that, hey, maybe this is something and maybe they've never considered it. Maybe it's against the direction they're wanting to go. How do you begin building that in, approaching that? It's interesting because you can be operating as a mobilizer in the context of a ministry that already has a culture of going and sending. And that's a totally different thing from operating as a mobilizer within the context of a ministry or, or some kind of context that the culture has not yet been created. 
and it creates different rhythms and, and a different approach. Mm-hmm. So you, you have a lot of benefit when you're in the context of a ministry that's already sending people because you kind of have, you have at your disposal the best mobilizers and it's not you if you're not a student, it's the other students who have testimonies of what they just did last summer or you know two months ago. And oftentimes those are the stories that seem to create a hunger or create even the awareness of the possibility that maybe I could do this. I mean, this person down my down my hall just did this. I guess maybe I could do that. But when you're in a culture that hasn't quite gotten that momentum yet, I think you're trying to do what Henry Blackaby said, which is find where God is working and join him in that. You're doing a lot of surveying and trying to find, just like you mentioned, James, who is, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was, I was just going to ask, let's put this in the context because both of you guys came, came through ministries that either already had a sin in culture or we're in the process of developing it. I'm not exactly sure, Peter, where you landed in that, but there was some, there was some momentum going that way. Let's say God picks you up tomorrow and he plops you down in a new campus and or or a new church with college kids, like wherever that's at, and and there isn't, how would you go about developing that? How would you go about having those conversations? Because with the with the sending one, it's kinda like the current's already at your back, you know, like you're going with the wind. Yeah. I would start with the people who seem to at least have an interest in sharing the gospel. Mm. That's who I that's who I would be looking for. Because first you gotta have a heart for people where you're at. I mean, generally, you gotta have a heart for people where you're at before you begin to expand that heart to a God sized heart for the entire globe. Yeah, I'm I'm inclined to totally agree. I think in my own experience, you know, when I was coming through campus ministry here at the University of Florida, there was definitely a missions culture that was sort of stated, but I think it was maybe under-realized or another way that you could put it was that we were under-mobilized, you know, maybe as compared to more recently. And I think that it really sort of became obvious to us that God wanted more than just our local context to be reached by the work that we were doing as we really got to know him better in the context of community. And what I, what I mean by that tangibly is as we really started walking with God in personal discipline, through quiet time, through scripture memory, through hearing the word preached and taught, Acts is an entire book of the Bible that's a major portion of the New Testament, and three quarters of Acts is dedicated specifically to describing how the gospel went beyond just Jerusalem and into the foreigner and the other and the Gentile. And so if you're really going to have you know, any real conversation about, okay, who is God and what does he want for our lives? I think mission has to be a part of that. And, you know, I I think it's hard for me to really understand in this day and age, in in the 21st century in in America, which is where I guess I'm taking for granted most of our listeners are probably going to be. It's hard for me to understand someone who's coming from a context that is, or they would argue is like completely unmobilized, you know, because I, I think of for example, the experience of William Carey in the late 1700s, who is now considered the father of modern missions, who appears to have really been working and operating in a context that was really under mobilized. I mean, he received a lot of 
pushback from good church people who are doing good church ministry. And, you know, I think because of the way that the missions movement has happened over the last 250, 300 years in the West primarily, but not just the West, I think any church context or ministry context has some downline of that that movement and really the movement that came before that through the Moravians and just sort of the expansion of the ter- church in the last 200 years, especially in the 20th century, 19th century. So I would venture to say that there are people who are more willing and more mobilized and more thinking about and asking these questions than you would give them credit for on the surface. That, yeah, that, that makes me think of a story, if I may. Yeah, please. This is an unconventional story that doesn't have to do with OU. Yeah, this actually is a story of being in Cuba during, uh, well, it is through OU, through our staff. We went to Cuba a number of times to work with university students. And I remember uh, one retreat with these students who were hungry for the Lord. I started to talk about God's heart for the nations and, and, and I started to kind of pull out my normal rhythms of how to promote that by trying to ask a question of, like, what would you most like to do with your life or, or something like that? And almost every single person in the little, in the circle of like 20 students said something to the effect of, I would like to leave Cuba. Well, like I would, I would like to leave this island even just for a, a trip. And I, it dawned on me like, all right, this is not like the Oki that had never been on a plane before that we had to talk them into, you know, you can adventure much bigger. For many of these people who are still created in God's image and meant to be disciples, they don't actually see a framework where they can go, be goers. And so it occurred to me, like, you can't just talk about opportunity. You can't let opportunity be the only engine for mobilization if you really believe it's scriptural because it's got to be for everybody. And maybe they don't have as much opportunity. And that's why you have to back it up always to scripture. It's got to come very beginning from a scriptural understanding. And I was of little faith in Cuba because only a few short years after I left that meeting, I began to recognize that Cuba in all of its woes economically and socially and governmentally is sending missionaries right now all over the world in spite of their limitations and the limitations in their opportunities. So I probably should have spoken a lot more strongly that weekend, but I realized that it could not be like tied to the opportunities because opportunities are different everywhere and and ebb and flow like the tide, but God's word is constant. And you want to build into people an impetus for going that springs straight from God's word, if you can help it. And that's where you can help anybody, anywhere, anywhere they go in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Each of you guys, give me just like your top three, top three passages that you like to take people to when you talk about mobilization. Like God's heart for the nations, this is important. You go first, Peter. Sure. Well, one that comes to my mind immediately is in Acts 13, verse 47. Uh, in this CSB, it says, For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you as a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And I think what is really cool for me in that passage is there's two layers of how Paul is using this verse as he's preaching it. 
because he's, he's quoting Isaiah. He's quoting Isaiah 49, 6. And so this prophecy in Isaiah is talking about the suffering servant who we know to be the King Jesus, who is not just for Israel, but ultimately to be reconciliation, you know, for the for all the nations, for all the Gentiles. So Paul takes this good news and preaches it in the context of Acts 13. That's what the majority of the chapter is. But then he applies it also to himself and he says, this is also my calling. It's not just the work of Jesus. Uh, it's, it's also what Jesus is doing in and through me as, as I understand it in my own life. And so Paul says in some ways that he is compelled by this verse to go and bring salvation to the ends of the earth, to bring salvation to the Gentiles. Um, not that he's preaching the gospel of Paul, of course, but that he's preaching the gospel of Jesus. So I think for me, to, and, and this is a fuller conversation, but I love to kind of talk in a larger group context, but to trace that idea from Isaiah's understanding of who this suffering servant, who this king who's going to suffer, who he's meant to be in relation to Israel and in relation to the nations and in the context of who uh, Isaiah's audience understood him to be to trace that to then Jesus, to then Paul, and say, hey, this ethic, really, this principle of God's heart for the nations, it's not just something that was supposed to end with Jesus on the cross. It's not just something that was supposed to end with Paul and others in the book of Acts. It's actually something that we're to be obedient to. So that's going to be as one of my favorites. Bunny, Isaiah 49.6 is for sure my very favorite mm. mobilization verse. Because he's speaking to his servant, unnamed servant at that point, which we know as Jesus, but is also anyone who takes on mm -hmm. the servanthood of Christ, following in his fashion, which means us. And he says, uh, depending on your translation, either it is too small a thing or it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. But I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And so I, I think for me, that establishes a theology that propels me to recognize that my local context, my, my ministry to the local around me, wherever I am, even if I move to Indonesia, my local changes, it's never enough. It is too small for the glory of God for me to give attention only to my local context because he said that it was too small for Jesus to just give attention to his local context, the tribes of Israel. And that's why I think it's it's imperative for us as we make disciples. And that's essentially what you're doing when you're mobilizing, I think. it's not. You mentioned this in the document that you showed me earlier, Peter, that it's not just about trying to get somebody to go, because that's all about us. It's about trying to get somebody to get in line with God's will in general, holistically in their life. And so a disciple is one who thinks that it is too small a thing to be a servant only to their local context and not to the ends of the earth. And until we have made disciples who really believe that, we've made incomplete disciples, no question. And I love the way that Paul runs with that in Romans 15. When he says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone's someone else's foundation. And then he quotes the Old Testament saying, those who have never heard will, will hear, and, and those who have never seen will see. 
there is a theology of the unreached in Romans and in Paul's understanding of the Old Testament. And so those verses are, I think, key for us to keep in mind so that we don't just become myopic. We, we just focus on what's in front of us. That's all too natural for us to do as humans. And we need God lenses to think locally and globally at the same time. It's true. So let's say, let's, let's move forward a little bit. So you've You've had some of this background. You've been a link in their chain. But when you actually sit down with them, then how do those conversations tend to go? And not with the not with the guy that's like, hey, can you tell me where the application is? I'm ready. But with the person that you think needs to take that step, should take that step, is ready to take that step, but maybe isn't so sure about that. One blanket statement that I can say from being a student myself and now doing student ministry for five years or so is that students are far more available and willing to do crazy things for the Lord than often the people telling them to do crazy things for the Lord. I mean, they are really available and passionate and they have not learned some probably good, but maybe bad level of restraint or comfort in their life and lifestyle that even I now feel as a 26 year old with a wife and a kid and, a, you know, an apartment that I'm living in a life, my job, she's got a job and students are willing to run through brick walls, <laughs> you know, if they're given a good enough reason to. And so I think, you know, far too often we won't even have the conversation because we make the decision for people and we say, oh, they're not willing. They have to do internships. They are going to work this summer or whatever. And we won't even ask the question, what are you doing? Or have you considered? So, you know, before we really get into the depth of this conversation, I'll just say that I think this is a good conversation to be had because students are willing and ready to go and be obedient. Could we draw out of that that you might should ask more people than what you think are actually ready? Or at least to apply in our situation where you're going to go through an application process. I would hope that in our context, in, in my context, I should say, within the UFBCM and the churches that we work with, that every single student that is a meaningfully involved member of this community, that they would at least pray about if God would have them go overseas this summer. Really, that's my goal. I, my goal isn't to make the decision for them. It's to present them with some facts about the need in the world and the opportunities that we have before them and at least compel them to pray about it and then just see what God wants to do with that. So yes, in, in long answer to your question, I would say that 100% of people are eligible to at least pray and really consider if this is for them. Yeah, I think where you're trying to get to go, honestly, and, and this is going to sound really strong, where the kind of culture that you want to get to is where you don't feel apologetic about implying that students in your ministry will miss out if they don't go overseas at some point while they're in college. You're not trying to play God or play the Holy Spirit for them, but that you're unapologetic about creating a culture that says, seize this opportunity to go because the heart cannot feel what the eyes have not seen. And ultimately, you're really wanting to get their heart to feel God's heart for the nations. And this is a, 
a rare opportunity to do that. So yeah, I think, man, treat it like, man, the ideal student in our ministry goes overseas. <laughs> I don't know if every campus minister would agree with me on that, but that's what I would say. The right ones would, the right ones would. <laughs> I agree, but that kind of brings up a, a question that I had, uh, basically like, how much do you challenge them or how pushy do you be? Or um, that might pushy kind of has a negative connotation, but how much force do you push? Well, I, I don't know the answer to that question. A story for me comes to mind. So recently I was involved over the course of maybe four or five meetings with a girl who was thinking about going and it was you know, something that the schedule just really lined up for her and it was probably an opportunity that she might not ever get. And really what she was deciding between boiled down, you know, we had a lot of conversations about fears and doubts and questions, and that's pretty normal. But what it really boiled down to was she was going to be working when she graduated and she was going to either spend this time with her family at home, um, specifically her brother who was not a believer, her grandma who was living at the house who had some health issues and just serving her parents something that she felt like was a really genuine ministry and going overseas and, you know, going on um, this, this missions opportunity. And as we talked, it became clear that she really felt a really high degree of passion and, and a sense of calling toward both, honestly, that she felt like things were really good opportunities. And so I think to the extent that she really asked hard questions, I would say, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing to the point where they're really honest with themselves, you know, because it, it probably took two or three meetings before we even boiled down to what is the real reason why you would or wouldn't go? You know, what, what are you really weighing between when it comes to your options? And then when it comes to, you know, and I think for a lot of people, if you really push them, they're saying, oh, I just want to make money. I just want to be comfortable. I just want to save up for next semester. I just have been told by my parents I need to get this internship so that I can graduate on time. You know, it's it's all these reasons that I would say unapologetic, I would say are lesser reasons. But sometimes you run into some reasons that are really good reasons. Like, I think God's really opened this door for this internship in this particular city and there's this church there and I really want to work with them. And I think I'm going to be and I'm able to really serve. And I don't know if God's called me overseas long term, but I think he has called me a church ministry. And so here I feel like it's a really good spot. You know, someone's really walked through all that and prayed through all that with God over the course of a couple of weeks. I don't need to push them any further because God's already got them, as far as I can tell, in the center of what his will is. So really, I feel like my job is to partner with the Holy Spirit and get them to the point where they're asking critical questions and they're praying intentionally and fervently to understand what his will is. And when they have an answer to that and they feel really confident and not just this ethereal sense of, oh, I have a peace about it. You know, I've come to terms with it. That's, I feel like a Christianese for, I, I'm tired of thinking about it, so I'm just going to land somewhere. But they really are excited about the opportunity to glorify God and bring light into this place. You know, I don't care if that's overseas or if that's back home or if that's here in Gainesville, Florida, or if that's anywhere, because I know that they're going to fulfill the kingdom and bring the kingdom in wherever they are. I like, I want to ask you, oh, hold on. I want to, I want to ask you that same question of how pushy to be Micah, but on yours, Peter, 
is it worth saying, like even somebody who's like that, like, hey, here's the opportunity, I feel called to church ministry. Is it worth saying like, hey, that's great, and maybe you have that lined up this year, but like, I think you should at least spend a summer overseas. Like it will make you a better pastor. It will make you read your Bible better. You know, like I see, I see very few downsides of someone even who who will spend, uh, who's God's will for them is to spend the rest of their life in America, for them to. I feel there's huge benefit for them to still spend a significant portion, and by that I mean at least a couple of months, overseas in a different culture, trying to share the gospel with those who, who are culturally different, who are linguistically different. Like I just, is it worth still throwing out? That's great for this year, but you should pray about it for next. Yeah, I mean, yes, because all those things are true. However, I wouldn't push it too hard, honestly, because I don't want to even appear that I'm playing God in their lives. Mm -hmm. And I don't want them to have to make a hard decision between the voice of God and the voice of Peter. And I don't want to guilt trip somebody. I don't think that's how Jesus operated when he made disciples. I don't think that's how Paul operated when he made disciples. I think he presented truth. He made clear the fork in the road and he said, the choice is yours. So sure. I'm, I'm all for saying those things because they're true, but you know, that, that girl in the story that I mentioned, she ended up not actually going, she went to a home for the summer and afterwards came to me and said, I'm so grateful that you really met with me and took the time to walk through these things because it meant that when I was home, I was so much more intentional with my family, with my brother, with my work, choosing an internship back home. She said, I never would have been this intentional and this, this kingdom minded when I was there. And so for me, I genuinely think that her summer was better served home than it would have been in Africa, in Southeast Asia. You know, I don't think that someone needs to be overseas to be in the center of the will of God. And from a demographic standpoint, from a logistics standpoint, Sure, college students should go overseas. You know, they're available. We live in an affluent country. We live in a time in history where you can get anywhere in the world within 48 hours. On paper, absolutely. But when it comes down to someone's personal experience, I, I don't subscribe that every single person 100% of the time should go at some point. How about you, Micah? How pushy, how pushy do you be? How challenging do you to be? I think this is just, as I reflect on my own experience with mobilizing, I've, I've realized that mostly I'll find myself being pushy in a larger, broader context. So whenever I have the opportunity to speak to a larger group or to give a devotional or even in a small group, and it seems that the more thorough of a job that I've done vision casting or that our ministry has done in casting a vision for God's heart for the nations and casting a vision for Statist the statistic of where college students fit into that, including the all the unique stewardships that they've been granted, like Peter mentioned, then it allows me in the individual conversations to be a lot softer and a lot more personable because I don't feel like I've pulled my punches to this point. And the strongest punches are those um, vision casting statements and, and truths. So that 
that puts me in a more comfortable position as a mobilizer, honestly, because it's usually I've been in the position where I'm mobilizing people that I'm also discipling or investing in in some way or some form or fashion. So I don't want to burn bridges with them. I want to continue to be able to speak into their life. I'm not just a drive-by mobilizer. I have been a drive-by mobilizer and I didn't prefer that because of missing out on the holistic investment portion of it. I think whenever you, you lay a really good thorough blanket of vision casting, then when people come to you and, and kind of like the story you shared, Peter, and they say, well, this and, and well, that, and well, I'm really agonizing over this. When you get a sense that they really are paying attention to the vision, then you don't have to hammer them on every reason to not go as though it's just a lack of vision. You can enter into that problem solving with them and be patient and trust God. And so I had one guy that I, I discipled at OU who didn't do either of the summer opportunities that I recommended he do his first two summers. And I kind of felt like, oh, time is fleeting. You're going to graduate and miss out on all the summer opportunities. And then as, as we continued to just talk and, and as I tried to be a voice for global missions, after his junior year, he went. And then after his senior year, after he graduated, he went. And I felt like there was a lot more rapport there by that point because I was willing to listen to him. And I think of uh, Proverbs 16, 21. It says, the wise of heart is called discerning and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Mm-hmm. So especially in those one-on-one settings, when you're operating off of your relational equity with people, I think it's important to be able to seem that you are a friend. And if you really are a friend and God puts on your heart, you need to speak some hard truth to this person, then you do it. But I don't know that I feel comfortable setting out to just have a default of speaking hard truths to people without being prompted by the Lord. Unless it's in a group setting, then I do it all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I feel like in a group setting, because you're not not speaking to anyone specifically, uh, you can come in very, very very direct and very hard, very challenging. And then God can can do with that according to what he's working in each of their lives. But it's definitely harder. I think, I don't, I also don't subscribe that every single person should go overseas, but I do subscribe that every mature Christian should honestly pray about it. And I feel like the default too often is towards pastoral ministry. You get paid more, you're respected more. There's a lot of perks to that. You know, or towards going and working at a camp or going something else where it's, you know, it's fun, it's close, it's comfortable, you get paid a little bit, and it's worth it's worth the cost to uh, to challenge them and just say, hey, like, have you? Will you pray about this? Like, I'll say you have to go, but at least pray about. It. Well, that's where we're going to cut off this mobilization conversation today. Join me next time. We're going to jump back in with these guys. We're going to talk some about mobilizing for journeymen or for longer options. We're going to talk about the best invitation, the best way to invite someone to come along and talk about overcoming some of the common challenges. So you're not going to want to miss it. Join us next time on the One Link Podcast. And until then, we'll see you.